Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Intercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi and every river, lake, and field in between. Let's talk everything outdoors. Uh, ha, ha, ha. You're on the crazy train. <laughs> Welcome to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on Sports Radio 1057 FM, The Fan. Okay. beautiful day here in Wisconsin. I'm glad you're uh, joining Danny and I today. Uh, i got to make sure my uh, everything is working here okay. Can you hear me okay? Hello? Well, Tom, yeah. uh, it sounds like you're speaking from the bottom of a water barrel. Oh, is that um, right? even right now? If, on, on my end, but maybe that's just me. Oh, boy. Well, maybe uh, maybe you should ask Sam how it's going. Sam, yeah. what, do you, what do you hear? Uh, it does sound like a water barrel. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try another phone then. How about that? Sounds but, uh, sounds good. How how am I uh, how am I reading, Sam? So far so good. So far so good. Okay. Well, we want to thank our listeners. While well, Tom and I try to uh, get our uh, technical difficulties sorted out, and once again we thank everybody for being patient uh, during this COVID thing. Uh, since uh, the end of March, we haven't been allowed back in the studio, which basically means we have to use technology and it's not just as simple as calling into the station we uh there are apps involved and so forth but uh, we've been muddling through it uh for the time being and sam i want to thank you because you're the guy in the studio you're the producer having to deal with all this stuff so it's probably uh, more big headaches on your end than uh, than us i'm guessing hey it is what it is let's try uh tommy again real quick here okay all right i'm back on how do i sound now a little bit better no Nope. Well, no. <laughs> you mean I sounded better last week? Yep. Okay, well, I don't know. Boy, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have to. I got all my stuff set up in the basement here, all ready to go with all my stuff. And because uh, I got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today, but I'm going to have to take this outside, I guess, uh, get a better, uh, better sound. That sounds, right. that sounds fine, Tom. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll hold the fort. 
okay, while you, you try and uh, you try and reboot. Yeah, you um, take, you take just, over for the next few minutes, and I'm going to go outside. I'll be back in about three minutes. All right. Try try not to get lost there, Tom. Uh, so once again, I'm Dan Bush. That's Tommy the True Newbauer, a bass expert. And I'm sure during today's show we can uh, ask him any questions about bass fishing. A 799-1250 is our phone number. And we are live. We are unrehearsed. Uh, we kind, kind of... Uh, Try to uh, give you some reports, fishing information, along with letting our listeners call in with their information. So give us a call if you have anything. Um, I will mention uh, I just got a text from a good friend of mine. For those bass fishermen out there, uh, my friend Mark Horton, the one who introduced me to uh, smallmouth bass fishing up in Door County, he does something that you don't think a lot, you really don't think about a lot of people doing this. Because uh, when you think about bass fishing, you think about somebody launching in the morning and fishing during the day. But he does a lot of nighttime bass fishing. And uh, I just got a text from him. He's been out since 3 a.m. So he's been out there, I guess, about three hours. And uh, apparently he's, he's slamming both largemouth and smallmouth bass. Now, just so you guys know, he doesn't go and travel way, you know, up north or anywhere special he fishes area lakes and we've got area lakes down here uh, in in southeastern Wisconsin which have some great bass fishing and I think if if you get smart like Mark uh, you'll start to try and uh, do some of that nighttime fishing uh, even as far as musky fishing um, I know a guy years ago on uh, it was fourth of July weekend I believe he went trolling on Pewaukee Lake for muskies, and he started at night and fished all night long, and he got several big muskies, including a 46-incher, out trolling. Now, once again, when you think about fishing uh, Pewaukee Lake for muskies, there's guys out there trolling all the time during the day. But sometimes that night bite is something that, that you should take advantage of. Now, especially if fishing is slow. Um, you know, sometimes the fish... Sometimes the bite just seems to shut down. Many years ago, uh, when Steve Milliot used to guide out here on Pewaukee, we were both fishing pretty regular. The fish just seemed to be absent during the morning. We'd get out there and wouldn't see anything. So he started wondering, well, maybe are they moving, you know, after dark? So he started getting out there an hour or two before daylight and with clients, and he'd be moving fish, having action, and then by about 8 o'clock when the sun was up and high, it, it just shut down. So there was definitely a, uh, a strategic move that he had to make if he was going to try and go out there and get the muskies going. Uh, now, it's not always the case, but there's times when if, if, if what you're doing doesn't work, you got to kind of mix it up sometimes. Now, if you are going to night fish, the only thing I would say about the night fishing is you got to be really careful. Uh, it's, it's bad enough during the day to be out there with, you know, you got, it might sound kind of foolish, but I mean, you got hooks, you got, you know, different things at night, make sure you have everything laid out exactly where you know it is, especially if you're going to musky fish, you want to have that hook out tool right there, your cutters, everything, jaw spreader, have a, all your gear set up because if you catch a fish at night, it's 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 bad. It's hard enough. I shouldn't say bad. It's always a good thing to catch a big muskie, but if you're trying to deal with it during the day, 
and you got this uh, angry fish with teeth flopping around in the net, um, it's hard enough during the day. At night, it's multiplied by two at least. Uh, make sure that you have good lights. Uh, don't be out there without, you know, with one old dim flashlight or, or nothing at all. Nowadays, you can get uh, clip-on little headlamps cheap enough. Uh, years ago, when I first tried night fishing on the Chippewa Flowage, it was back in, I don't know, whatever, late 1980s. I bought this big stupid headlamp that went around my head like a coal miner, and then it ran to like this giant battery on a cord to my belt, and the thing... <laughs> Thing weighed a ton and looked ridiculous. Well, we've come a far, we've come a long ways from there. So nowadays you can get little clip-on ones for your hat, get different colored ones, lots of real bright ones. So make sure you you don't not only have one but have like ten of those in your boat. Have one on the brim of your hat. Uh, have a little flashlight handy. Doesn't hurt to have like a spotlight. You want to make sure, especially if you're out after dark fishing, make sure that you are not uh going you know breaking any laws now on Pewaukee here after dark I believe it's a 10 mile per hour speed limit out here uh at sunset and uh for I think even a half hour after sunrise make sure that you're careful out there uh be observant having a spotlight's good because you can spot some of the hazard buoys uh, I would never venture on the Bay of Green Bay nighttime fishing for walleye without having a good spotlight um and that being said make sure that you kind of are familiar with the body of water that you're on. I wouldn't want to launch onto a lake that I'm unfamiliar with in the dark without first having been there during the daytime. Um, so make sure that you know where you're at. And uh, you can have some great fishing out there, you know, muskie, bass, walleye. And again, when I think of bass fishing, I don't think about doing it at night, but that might be something that uh, just might tilt the odds in your favor. Um, but as far as fishing reports out here, now, water temperatures have cooled down. Now, I fish on Pewaukee, and uh, water temps have been around 78. Now, that doesn't mean that you can, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, the muskies will be just fine if I drag them in and take 10 pictures and throw them over the side. That's not the case. You still want to handle the fish with care. So what I was saying about fishing at night as far as have, having all your tools laid out and uh, ready to go applies during the day as well. Uh, if, if you can, do a water release on the fish. Uh, now, sometimes some guys will just not even use a net if you, uh, you know, want to reach over the side of the boat and try and unhook it. Um, although I like to use a net because I can kind of contain the fish. It's kind of like a, a live well that's uh, hung over the side of my boat, and I can kind of get the fish under control then try and unhook it and then sometimes just dip the net lower in the water and the fish just swims away one thing that i would recommend as well the baker hookout tool which i had one years ago it was an old rusty one in a tackle box and i never used it but i always had a long needle nose pliers that i'd use for muskies and pike and you want to have a long needle nose pliers uh, you don't want to have a short one because you're getting your hand close to a, a thrashing head with hooks and teeth. So you want to have a long one. But I found that of, of late, I got a, a new Baker hookout tool, and that actually seems to work better or easier, I should say, than using a long nose needle nose pliers. Because with the long needle nose, it, sometimes it's kind of hard to reach over 
and uh, open it up and close it in your hand without maybe accidentally dropping it into the drink and it'll go to the bottom. With the baker, it's, it's kind of got a trigger finger right there. It's automatically in the open position. So if you can just reach down and get it on a hook and squeeze down, clamp down tight, and uh, sometimes the fish itself will shake its head and help shake itself off, they're really working good right now. So I started using that this year as opposed to the needle nose. And for about seven bucks, you can get them at a bait shop. They don't quite have the torque or the clamp down power of a needle nose. So if you have a really deeply hooked fish, then you might have to go to the needle nose. But anyway, just a few tips as far as, you know, releasing the fish. If you've caught a 36-inch muskie before, uh, go ahead and uh, just let it go. You don't have to get another picture of another one if you've got pictures of 10 fish of the same size. And uh, that way you can get out there, enjoy the resource, and uh, still try and protect the fish. And this likewise, you know, for bass fishing as well. Um, you want to uh, try to do... What's that, Tom? I was just wondering. I've been here for about five minutes, and I was didn't know if you could hear me or not. Well, I can hear you now. It doesn't. It. I can hear you. You're not real loud, but I can hear you clearly. It's not like you're talking from the bottom of a barrel. How about uh, Sam, our producer? What do you got with Tom? It's a little better. Well, that's a little good. better. I'm glad, to hear, I'm glad to hear that. I was listening because those are all really good tips, Danny. And, yeah, uh, we, well, we have... I figured I'd just get on, be, go on about it because I've been doing a lot of summer fishing, and uh, I don't know if you heard, I got the text from Mark. He's been out nighttime bass fishing since three o'clock last night, and uh, he's getting uh, nice smallies and largemouth, and uh, so nighttime bass fishing. I don't know. Have you? I mean, did you ever do a lot of nighttime bass fishing? Yeah, I did. When I was younger, we did a lot of nighttime bass fishing. It was awesome. I really liked it. There were a lot of really good lakes to do it in, too, and I, I had one favorite lure that I used, and uh, if I went night fishing now, that's all, I mean, that's all I would ever use after a while. It Can was I... taught to me by a good friend, Hal Walker, who's long since passed away. Uh, he was an old guy that I had met when I was younger, and, and he taught me a little bit, a few things about nighttime bass fishing. But you know what, Danny? I'll tell everybody what? what that lure is after the break. How's that? That sounds good, Tom. Glad to have you back. All right. So I hope everybody stays tuned because I'm going to tell you what that one and only lure to use at night is uh, right here on the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Welcome back to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush along with Tom Newbauer. Hey, we want to thank our uh, thank our listeners for uh, being with us again today. We all make it a point to thank the law enforcement, first responders, uh, military, and healthcare workers out there keeping America great and keeping us safe. Thanks again for being there. Yeah, I just want to let everybody know that uh, if they want to be in touch with us on the show, they can call us at 414-799-1250. That's 799-1250. Okay, Danny, uh, the lure that I was taught to use, and I will always use it because it has proven so effective at night, because at first I would use like a jitterbug, a buzzbait, a chugger, you know, different types of topwater baits. 
And this old friend of mine told me, nope, you need a black spinnerbait that's either three-eighths or a half-ounce, and you have to have a big Colorado blade attached to the lure with a ball-bearing swivel. And, and you got to have a trailer hook on the spinnerbait. And I'm telling you, I caught so many bass that night with that. See, the thing is, is that with that big Colorado blade thumping through the water, their lateral line can feel it, they can hear it, and they jump on it. And that's how basically they feed at night a lot because, let's face it, they can't see so good at night when everything's pitch black. So, but this is a way to put fish in a boat. I would use that in shallower water and deeper water everywhere, and it worked fantastically. I would recommend that to anyone. Hey, Tom, the guy that first talked to me about nighttime bass fishing, I just had a flashback here, uh, was in the mid-90s, and a guy named Ron Johnson, who didn't even own a boat back then, told me about some of these ponds that he would sneak into after dark. Uh, some small area places yeah. around here. I don't know what he was doing, putting on full camo and crawling on his hands and knees, but he'd go <laughs> in, and uh, I think he was fishing topwaters at that time. In fact, Ron might be with us next week, Saturday, on the show. Just a little heads up there. All right. Well, Danny, last week, you, you know, you mentioned a thing about the DNR. I'm not the DNR. I'm sorry, the NRA. They're under scrutiny right now for mismanagement of funds. You remember that? Yeah, like only like Wayne Lapierre paying himself seventeen million dollars oh, yeah. or something like that. Well, a little misappropriation. There, yeah, in uh, the Wisconsin Outdoor News, which I get a lot of information from, and the issue that's out right now, I would recommend everybody to buy one of those. There's two great articles that I'm going to mention, but one of them is about uh, the NRA and what's going on with them. But this is just a little snippet that I took out of the article, a big, long article. In 2015, the NRA was $28 million of state, or they had $28 million surplus. Surplus money, okay? $28 million. By 20. 18, only three years later, they were $36 million in the hole. That's a, that's like what? $64 million changeover in three years. And people knew something fishy was going on. So. Yeah, Tom, they spent a lot of money. And, you know, a lot of that money, there's, I mean, they've been a force for lobbyists in, in, in Washington. So as far as, Protecting our gun rights, they've they have they've over the years they've done a great job. That has been the organization that's been the one fighting for us. But as far as the money that they were paying out to themselves and to others, I even heard one thing where Ted Nugent, you know, he's always I've always liked the fact that even though he's crazy, he's promoting gun rights and so forth. But they paid him sixty five thousand dollars for some whatever appearance, whatever. And I'm thinking, hey. Ted, you know, you're supposed to be fighting for the cause. Why do you have to get $65,000 to do it? You oh, got it. Were, He's got enough were, money. Yeah, they were uh, paying people, especially family and friends, uh, no work jobs, you know, just calling them, giving some kind of title, paying them money, and they, the people never did anything for it, or they were sending contracts people's way. Like I said, they got to read that article. But I got an announcement here 
This is good news for everyone, Danny, who likes to fish Big Cedar Lake up there in Washington County. It's a great lake, a lot of fish. Uh, see, in the past, when the lot, when the parking lot was full at the Gonring uh, Road launch, they would close the launch, even though some people could launch a boat and go park at their house, let's say, or whatever. They would just close the launch, which was totally ludicrous. Well, guess what? The the Big Cedar Lake Pro- Protection and Rehabilitation District will no longer shut down the Gonring Ride. Uh, gun ring drive boat launch on Big Cedar Lake in Washington County when the 34 spaces are full. It will stay open. So that's good news for all anglers who like fishing Big Cedar Lake. I had a I had to let everybody know that breaking news. So maybe it's not so breaking because the the magazine is probably a week old now. So but anyway. you know, big, <laughs> big Big Cedar Tom, a good friend of mine, Mike, uh, who passed away. Sadly, he was a friend of Steve Milliot's. He used to troll for Big Pike religiously on Big Cedar. Uh, I also, in talking to Steve Milliot, he told me told me the story of one time they were out there and they saw a guy catch a big sturgeon. Um, I was talking to a guy that I had out fishing, oh, I don't know, about a month ago. He said he didn't think there were any sturgeon left in there anymore. Have you heard any reports, if, any, if there's still some left? No. I have not heard anything. You know, you're, I used to fish that lake a lot, and uh, I don't mean to brag, but I won a number of tournaments on that lake. I, I knew that lake pretty good. I mean, I still do, but the thing is is that that lake has gotten so busy on the weekends. Uh, I've heard it called Delavan Lake North. Uh, it, it just gets so busy that it's just not fun fishing it. Uh, so, you know, if you if a person can get out, get out during the week, that's great. But, you know, it's an excellent bass lake, pike, panfish. And, and years ago, I did see some sturgeon. Yes, I did. I, I saw one in shallow water, which I thought was a log at first. And I saw one that would jumped out of the water. Uh, I don't why it was jumping. I don't know. But I saw it. Yeah, so whether or not there's still sturgeon in that lake, I don't know. But I would have to guess there would be, you know? I would have you to know, Tom, I was wondering whether... I was I was talking to the gentleman when we were out, and I, I I was wondering out loud whether those fish were native or stocked. And the story he told me was that apparently a DNR fisheries truck with some sturgeon fry or whatever, uh, and it broke down. And being as he was right by the lake there. Uh, they just threw them into Big Cedar just to put them somewhere, and that that actually was kind of an accidental stocking. Now, whether that story is true or not, I don't know. Maybe one of our other listeners has some information but, on that. You know, it's funny, Danny. I've I've heard that same story about the muskies in Pewaukee Lake. I've heard that same story about walleyes, and I can't remember the name of the lake, but another lake where they had walleyes in it. It seems like the DNR trucks accidentally break down by lakes with fish in it, you know. I, I personally don't buy it because, like I said, I've heard that story so many times about so many fish on so many lakes that I think it's just one of those used stories. Now, I, I don't know how the, how the uh, sturgeon got in there, and to tell you the truth, does it really matter? They got there, you know. They well, got there, it's, so. it's, it's a deep lake, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, I guess, I guess uh, 
you know, it, it, we've got sturgeon native to Lake Michigan. I believe they were native to the Winnebago system. Mm. Uh, who's to say that, uh, shoot, I think we were all covered with water here at one time before it receded. So who's to say that some sturgeon couldn't have ended up there? You know, the funny uh, uh, urban legend or story that you consistently hear, and you know this, Tom, is if you go up to any northern Wisconsin lake, and you go into the local gin mill and, and sit and have a beer with the locals, they'll all tell you that there's muskies in their lake and that the world record is in their lake and the DNR shocked it. Yep. Or, or the DNR netted it, and it was longer than their boat. They didn't have a ruler long enough. <laughs> I know. It's hilarious. Yeah, you're exactly right. Every lake in northern Wisconsin has that story. Everyone, yeah. I've... I've heard that even from locals here. They, they'll say, you know, it was the world record in Pewaukee. And I'm like, no, there's some big fish in Pewaukee, but uh, not, a world, not a world record, you know. Uh, there's no. a number of fish over 50 inches out here, I'm guessing, at oh, any yeah. given, given time. You know, and and uh, there's been old Joe Earhart's, you know, that was, that was a dandy that he caught years ago. You know, with all the muskies caught out of here since then, it's surprising that that record hasn't probably will never be broken i don't know if we'll ever get a 50 pounder out of here yeah that's that's a that's a you know 50 pound fish how there's only been a handful of them caught in the last what 50 years yeah i would say that a lot of those green bay fish that they're catching um, I once don't know a lot, but they're getting, you know, 55 to 57, 58 inches. There's got to be a few there that have cracked that 50-pound barrier for sure, but it's still a pretty rare beast. In fact, the Sturgeon Bay muskie that was caught by the bass fishermen years ago was 60 inches long, but 45 pounds. Of course, that was yeah. a spring fish, so I'm guessing it was spawned out at the time. But 45 sure. pounds is still a heavy fish. I hear people go, oh, that fish must be sick. I'm thinking, no, 45 pounds is still a heavy fish. Yeah, that's still a darn nice one, without a doubt. Uh, when we come back, Bushy, after the gut report, uh, I got a few more uh, things to tell you about. Um, so, you know, it seems like some uh, judges are imposing some huge fines on people who are breaking the law in the outdoor world, and I think that's well-deserved. And we'll talk about that and more after the gut report. He's Dan Bush. I'm Tom Neubauer. Sam Schmitz is back on the boards today. We are uh, brought to you by Baitmate Fish Attractants. It is the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Come here. I'm going to eat you. I'm bigger than you. I'm higher in the food chain. Get in my belly. The gut report is brought to you by Discount Liquor. Hey, folks. You know, it seems like everybody likes potatoes, one way or another. And here's a recipe that you might really want to try. This is really, really good. This is from our good friends, Mad Dog and Merrill. And Merrill says, this is one you must try, must try, must try. Okay, you take, uh, we're going to start off with one baking potato, okay? I mean, you can, of course, make more. You bake or microwave the baking potatoes until they're about three-quarter done. You cut potatoes lengthwise into quarters. You marinate them in Italian dressing for an hour. Then you roll the quartered potatoes in Parmesan cheese and grill over indirect heat for approximately 20 minutes 
or until golden brown. You can do this in a frying pan too. And I'm telling you, folks, you've got you, you got a taste of potatoes that you've never had before. It's really good. The Gut Report is brought to you by Discount Liquor, where they've been in business for over 60 years now. And uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, it's service, selection, price. I'll tell you what, and the friend, very friendly people over there. So if you get a chance, go to Discount Liquor. And uh, I'll tell you what, if you want more information, like on where they're located and uh, for weekly specials, go to DiscountLiquorInc.com. Welcome back to Skibber Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. We are presented by Baitmate Fish Attractant, Coleman Insect Repellents. Thanks for getting a ride, getting on board with the crazy train this morning. Yeah, we, uh, you know, I, I didn't do an open this morning, and uh, I just got to remind people that uh, we're on uh, 105.7 FM, The Fan, and Sports Radio 1250 AM every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 AM. And uh, if you want to be part of the show, folks, just give us a call at 414-799-1250. Danny, remember we yes. talked uh, last week a guy was fined a huge amount of money for shooting I, a, a mule deer out of season in that? Tom, I think what? we have a caller. Oh, yeah, let's take Rick. Rick, right? Yeah. Is that it? Okay. Hello. Yeah, I'm here. Hello. 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 <laughs> yeah, Rick, go ahead. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if you could hear me. No, uh, we were talking sturgeon and a few other, you know, things. But I remember when I was about seven, and that that would be sixty years ago. I I was on water all the time, uh, whether river or Fowler Lake and a few others, and. I'd seen some weird things that, and once I actually saw a paddlefish. I didn't know it was a paddlefish at the time, but it was so distinct, and I've never seen anything like it. And it, it, it just coming along the shoreline where I was standing, and you know, made a little U-turn and went away. But it was the weirdest thing, and uh, you know, and that was the Oconomowoc River, and just that's something I don't think I could ever ever explain. Wow, that's weird. Normally they're in the Wisconsin River, you know. But, yeah, or the Mississippi. Wow. But uh, yeah, that it. it, it well, that was, uh, was quite a size quite of a, a smaller carp, not real small, but you know, not the. I've seen some big buffalo carp, but it had that long thing, and it was swimming with its mouth open, just. <laughs> it just turned around. I. Rick, you know your phone is cutting out on us. We're going to have to hang up. Your phone is cutting out on us. Sam, hang up, will you? Yeah. Uh, Rick, thanks for the call, but, yeah, your your phone was cutting out really bad. Uh, so, we couldn't understand half of what you were saying. So He said he, he, I did, he saw a paddlefish, he said, Tom? Yeah. yeah, he was talking about seeing a paddlefish in the Oconomowoc River years ago I've, when he was younger. I've never seen a paddlefish. No, and I know that they're in the Wisconsin River. I, I've never seen one personally. I've seen pictures of people who've caught them, you know, and released them, but I, otherwise I've never seen one myself personally. So, 
But Danny, um, like I was saying before, you know, they're starting to impose uh, the, some of these DNR agencies across the country are starting to impose some large fines for people who are doing stupid things. Down in Louisiana, a man who admitted that he and a juvenile shot and killed two whooping cranes in 2016 must pay, are you ready for this, $85,000 and cannot hunt until he completes 360 hours of public service. Now, the sentence was sent down because whooping cranes are the largest crane in North America and are among the world's rarest birds. The 850 cranes or so that are alive all descended from 15 that lived in uh, coastal Texas in the 1940s. So this judge really handed down one hell of a sentence, 85 grand. Good. That's that's incredible. I um, Sometimes I wish we valued human life as much as we do whooping cranes myself. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But uh, so... So I don't think that guy was going to be shooting any more whooping cranes, you know, because, uh, and then, you know, speaking of cranes, Danny, uh, right here in Wisconsin, now, a lot of farmers might not admit to this, but to their friends and sitting around the bar, they admit to this, that uh, farmers who use the triple S method, that's shoot, shovel, and shut up for managing the increasing number of sandhill cranes and that are doing damage in their farm fields. And, you know, we don't, other, other states have a sandhill crane season, Danny. Uh, we don't have one here, even though I guess there's plenty of sandhill cranes to go around. What do you think? I don't know. I, I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, but like when I was a kid, weren't the sandhill cranes supposed to be all rare and, and, and everything? Yeah, probably. It was kind of like with eagles nowadays. I mean, when I was a kid, eagles were rare. Now they're, oh, my goodness, they're all over the place, you know. And as a matter of fact, in, in Alaska, they're a damn nuisance. Uh, so, you know, things can change. I guess the, the sandhill cranes have been doing really good in the upper Midwest, you know, from the, the Dakotas all the way here to Wisconsin and maybe Michigan. One, one thing I, I do wish, you know, they protect the birds of prey, which I agree with. I think hawks, eagles, owls, they're super cool. Um, hard to believe that years ago, predator hunters using the predator calls could shoot an eagle or a hawk when they came in. Um, but now, if one's dead alongside the road and you want to grab a feather, you know, they'll, you know, they'll throw you, throw you in jail for gosh sake. Well, not quite, but I mean, yeah, I, know. I think they, yeah. I, I think you can't even have a feather. I think they're a little bit overboard on this stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely agree. I mean, I wouldn't uh, want us to have an open season on eagles and hawks and that, but but like you said, they get a little... I mean, if there's one dead, why can't you pick it up and maybe mount it if it was dead? But I, I kind of know why, because they're afraid to say that, that people will go out and shoot them or whatever, kill one, and say, oh, I found it, it was dead, you know, it was on the side of the road. So I guess they just don't want to take any chances, you know, and people doing that. Yeah, I don't think, I don't know. I, I How many people would really be going out trying to shoot eagles and hawks? I Although, you know, our buddy Troy Woodrow, he uh, his grandfather was uh, up in North Dakota there, and uh, he's long gone now, but uh, 
the locals up there, if there was a hawk on a fence post a couple of hundred yards away, they'd they'd pop them. I've talked to other North Dakota local yokels over the years, and they had kind of a dim view of birds of prey and a little bit of they're they're a little bit of bandits up there. Put it that way. Well, I'll tell you, if you, uh, let's say you had a farm, right, and you had chicken coops and your chickens were running around, uh, you wouldn't want any of those birds of prey around because they're going to be picking off chickens left and right. So maybe over in the Dakotas they're picking off pheasants, you know, and they don't well, want them doing that. Speaking that of the, the, the Dakotas, years ago when I was like 15 years old, we took the family trip out to South Dakota, and we're driving along and we look, and there's some uh, chickens by this farm. And we look back behind about 70 yards behind. Here's a here's a red fox. And he's kind of sneaking along. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So we actually stopped and told the farmer, hey, there's a fox sneaking up on your chickens. But, you know, you think the guy would have said, oh, yeah, thanks a lot. He just kind of gave us a kind of a grunt and a shrug and like we were bothering him. And uh, so who knows? Maybe uh, Maybe he has fox stalking his chickens all the time and didn't worry about it. Yeah, that might be. Or maybe he was waiting for it to get closer so he could shoot it. You know, who knows? Who knows what's going on? But you, I know one thing, Danny. Coming up next is the infamous horn swaggle, where they can, uh, a, a lucky contestant can win a $10 gift certificate to Carl's Country Markets out there in uh, uh, Menominee Falls on the corner of Silver Spring and Pilgrim Road. Best darn sausages on the planet. I mean, excellent place. Uh, and also by Baitmate Fish Attractants and Coleman Insect Repellents, a really nice prize package of their products. So if you want to be a contestant, folks, in the Hornswoggle, you got to call now at 414-799-1250. That's 799-1250. Win those prizes right now. Call. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to the Skibber Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. We are brought to you by Coleman Insect Repellents, Baitmate Fish Attractants, and right now we have the long-awaited Hornschwaggle Contest where someone can win some of that fine Baitmate Fish Attractant along with uh, Carl's Country Market Gift Certificate. Do we have a lucky contestant, Sam? Yes, today we got Jeremy in Richfield. Hey, Jeremy, how you doing? I'm good, you? Doing good, sir. Doing good. All right. Sure. So, you, uh, do you know how this works? Uh, never played it. Okay. So I'll run it by you. I'm I'm going to make three statements related to the outdoors, hunting, fishing, and if what I state is not true, you say that's a horn swoggle. In other words, I'm pulling your leg. Uh, if it's a true statement, you say no horn swoggle. So um, that's how it works, and so you can you take a second to think about it because I know people get confused on whether they're going to say hornswoggle or no hornswoggle. But hornswoggle means it's a BS, I'm telling you, a lie. So here we go. And all uh, you got to do is get two out of three correct. Yeah, two out of three. Yeah. Yeah, so that's better than Vegas odds, man. We got this slanted in your favor. So here we go. Um, muskies and pike. The topic is muskies and pike. Um, muskies and pike in northern latitudes like 
northern U.S., Minnesota, grow slower than muskies in southern areas. Hornswoggle or no hornswoggle? Hornswoggle. No, that's a no hornswoggle. No hornswoggle. They grow. Uh, they grow faster. In fact, I'll be talking about that topic in a little bit. So, okay, you still got a shot here. Um, deer season is pretty near upon us. Uh, in November, the big hunt, the rifle hunt, which is the real hunt, starts. Um, when shooting at a running deer with a rifle, today's modern bullets are so fast in calibers that you don't have to worry about leading a running deer, even if it's at a couple hundred yards away. Hornswoggle or no hornswoggle? Hornswoggle. That's a hornswoggle. Okay, here we go. COVID. Everybody's going crazy over the old COVID-19 uh, or whatever it is, yeah. So anyway, COVID. COVID has now been found uh, in, in heavy, heavy amounts in Wisconsin wild deer, and it's a real threat to hunters this fall. Hornswoggle or no hornswoggle? Hornswoggle. Hornswoggle. All right. All right. We got that one. Yeah, at least we don't have that to worry about. We got to worry about chronic wasting disease, the encephalitis, uh, tuberculosis in deer, but not COVID. Not yet, anyway. So, but anyway, thanks for uh, thanks for playing, and uh, make sure you leave your address and information with Sam, and we'll get those uh, prizes out to you. Okay, I appreciate it. All right, take care. Uh, yeah, thanks for playing. Yeah, he's going to get some nice stuff, a $10 gift certificate to Carl's Country Market in Menominee Falls and that uh, Bait Mate Coleman uh, prize package. Yeah, it's, that, uh, actually, that is a nice prize package, the whole ball of wax. You know, that's pretty nice. That makes it, makes it, worth, makes it worth playing, I guess. What, was, were those too easy, Tom? No, not really. I mean, I mean, I, you got to throw some softballs in there every now and then, you know. Gotcha. Uh, just to give people a fighting chance, I guess. Well, uh, uh, you know, earlier, Danny, I was talking about the Wisconsin Outdoor News, what a great public publication it is, because they they find things that are going on that we normally don't even hear about or read about, uh, you know, like especially things in uh, the law, you know, like with the DNR and all that, because they're on top of things. Now, this is something... I don't know, Danny. It's gonna. I think it's gonna upset you and every other fisherman and uh, hunter in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, did you know that there are fifty-five thousand acres of landlocked public land in Wisconsin? That means no hunting on them, no walking on them, no fishing on them. If there's, you know, lakes or streams. No, you can't get on them, period. They're landlocked. Wisconsin has 55,000 landlocked public lands, uh, 55,000 acres of landlocked public lands. Now, that's pretty bad, but Minnesota has 248,000 acres of landlocked public lands. But there's a big story in this issue of Wisconsin Outdoor News about how we have these 55,000 acres in Wisconsin that nobody can use. Nobody, because they're landlocked. Well, Tom, I think our friend uh, Keith 
uh, has called and talked kind of extensively about some of these problems, yeah, even in local areas over the yeah. years where you yeah. have to like uh, uh, repel from a, a helicopter or, you know, one thing you can do, Tom, if there's like a, a river or stream that runs through somebody's private land, you can just, if you can, wade down the creek. They can't right. say anything about it. Right. At least from what I've been told. Yeah, but, you know, this is amazing that, you know, and, and, and I talk about it every now and then, how the DNR goes out and buys land, even though they can't pay the interest on the money they borrowed already, but yet they keep buying land. And I'll tell you what, they're paying sometimes $4,000 an acre for land. I'm telling you what, if I got if I got 40 acres and they want to give me four grand for that 40 acres, I'm going to take it, you know. But I'll tell you, they, they're, they're spending a lot of money on land, and I cannot believe that 55,000 acres of it is landlocked, where no person in Wisconsin are citizens, which is, it's their land. You know, it's the citizens of Wisconsin's land. We well, know, you know, it, it's all of ours, and uh, can't go on it even. Well, as far as my perspective, being as Tom, I'm, I'm always the glass is half full guy. You're the guy is the glass is half empty. I am glad that the DNR does have a lot of good public lands out there for us to enjoy. Um, oh, they do. From, from, there's fantastic bike trails. There's, uh, uh, you know, public hunting lands. So I do like the fact that they do have it. Uh, maybe they it just sounds like they need to manage it a little bit better where they can figure out if they're going to get some land, make sure there is access. And if there isn't work on getting some access. Well, that's, that's the point. That's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. You know, you, you, you know, we got all this land that can't be used. It's like, no, that's not right. You know, uh, I don't, I don't think it's right. Um, and, and they, and when it comes to buying land, I forget what the numbers are. It was in this big, long article. That's why I'm recommending people get the magazine and read it. Uh, I forget how many millions of acres uh, that the Wisconsin owns, you know, that, you know, we've got a lot of land for public usage. and But it seems like they keep buying more and more land in areas that, well, they're landlocked. They can't be used. So you got to wonder why sometimes, you know, but. I'm sure there's a reason behind it. I'm sure there's well, a reason. It, it, the, other, the only other thing that I can wonder, Tom, is maybe they are trying to have some... It, it, by, by so doing, they are, in effect, creating some wildlife refuges. Um, that might be. That might yeah, be. Yeah, possibly. Hey, one, one thing, Tom, I will mention that the DNR uh, is doing something positive where, where they are trying to help people uh, with disabilities... Um, right now, uh, from what I hear, the DNR uh, provides uh, 10 accessible cabins at select state parks and forests, including eight large cabins and two smaller rustic cabins. Uh, so it's for people with disabilities, and they're trying to open that up. They're also uh, kind of uh, changing their definitions of uh, wheelchair to be more inclusive of medical uh, mobility devices. And uh, as a result, uh, people who uh, have those type of, uh, type of uh, vehicles, you might call them, will no longer be required to get some special permit uh, to be operated on state lands. So they're trying to help make, uh, make some of these lands accessible to hunters with disabilities. 
And they've also got a new partnership between the DNR and Accessibility Wisconsin, where there's new options for those who want to explore department lands. Accessibility Wisconsin provides all-terrain vehicles for rent throughout the state that can be used for hunting, birding, fishing, or simply uh, exploring. And reservations can be made by using Accessibility's online form. So there's a little bit of positive news, uh, what you know, as far as what they're doing to help people with disabilities. And I, I always feel fortunate, Tom, that we're able to get out there and hunt and fish, and we are physically healthy and and uh, and can do it. And sometimes I think we take it for granted when there's people with disabilities that it's very difficult for them to do that. Right. Well, right now it's the top of the hour. We got to take a break. We'll be right back, folks. So uh, stay tuned for the second hour of the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Intercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi and every river, lake, and field in between, let's talk everything outdoors. Aboard! <laughs> Welcome to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. is the second hour of the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors with Dan Bush and myself, Tom Neubauer. Danny's coming from a, his palatial estate on Pewaukee Lake, and I'm coming from a concrete bunker somewhere east of the Mississippi River. Anyway, if you want to get in touch with us, just give us a call at 414-799-1250. That's 799-1250. And if you have any... Uh, if you want to email us, let's put it that way. If you want to email us, I'll get to it during the week and talk about it next week. Uh, it's uh, CEO guys at yahoo.com. Anyway, good morning, fellas. Good, good morning. Good morning, Tom. And uh, I want to ask you, have, were you out fishing this week? Nope. It's been like a month since I've been out fishing. A month? But, yeah. But, you know, even though I am getting a little bit of the shakes, uh <laughs> I, I really don't mind it as much as I thought I would, Danny, because over the years I have fished so much. It's kind of like, you know, been there, done that, you know? So even though I enjoy fishing a lot, I miss it, but I'm not going to cry over it. You know what I mean? Yep. So Well, well I'll tell you, Tom, I uh, as far as muskie fishing, uh, on my home lake anyway of Pewaukee, I... Pretty much just do it when I have clients or family or friends to take out, and I have more fun um, taking taking them out, I think, and watching them catch a fish than catching it myself. Now, in fact, this week I had a great week with Dr. Sandy Flaster. I had a couple of, uh, of our other listeners, uh, John and Nancy, were out. Uh, I had the crew from Park Avenue Pizza out and uh, had a great time. In fact, I, I got to tell you kind of a funny story, Tom. Um, John and Nancy, they were nice enough to pack a sandwich for me. So, you know, John says to me in the morning, hey, I got a sandwich for you in case you need. And I said to him, oh, you know, I'm only I'm on my one meal a day program. So that's it. Uh, No, thanks. I'll just uh, I'll pass. But thanks anyway. 
So anyway, later during the day, somehow, I don't know how the topic came up to like school and maybe school closures and hot lunch and cold lunch. And somehow I said, do you remember the days when your mom would slap a piece of bologna on white bread, put that in a baggie and hand it to you and there you go, you're off to lunch, that's your school lunch. And uh, I was really happy when the institute, when they first started uh, hot lunch in fifth grade. It was a lot better than bologna. So no sooner did I say that, and John goes, uh, that sandwich I made for you, it's bologna. He said, but, but, so, so, but, he, but, but then he said, but it does have cheese. I said, what kind of cheese? Well, the kind of cheese in a little plastic wrapper. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. So the bologna sandwich. So I we we had a great time out there. We caught some muskies and uh, but I did miss out on that delicious, nutritious bologna sandwich. Well, you know, when I when I used to guide years ago, there was one fellow who would hire me and a a number of times each year. and And he owned Jake's Deli down on North Avenue and where they were. They are famous for their corned beef. And uh, his name was Mike. I'll leave his last name off. Mike, he owned Jake's Deli. And when he would hire me, he'd come with a pound of sliced corned beef, a loaf of rye bread, and, you know, those big deli pickles? Yeah. He'd have those. And, and, oh, and also a little jar of mustard. I'm telling you, I loved it when he hired me. When I mean, he would bring that, that corned beef stuff. Oh, my God, that was wonderful. You know, Tom, I've heard that Bud Selig is part owner of that deli. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. There was, it started off as five, and then as it was a way, well, it's a long story, I'd have to tell you, but it started off as five owners, now there's three. Uh, So as they pass away, you know, each share gets bigger as each one passes away. I'll, I'll tell it to you next time I see you. Next time gotcha. I talk, yeah. Well, that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, it's, as long as I'm talking about the muskie fishing, um, I will say, once again, I said this last week, that uh, if you want to catch a muskie on Pewaukee Lake, go to Smokey's Muskie Shop, stop in, and pick up some of the 4-inch deep-diving slammers, the shad ones, I guess they're called. They're right on your left-hand side when you walk on, and one of the technicians at Smokey's will um, will let you know, you know, which ones they are. Uh, I was talking last week, Tom, a little bit about, I think I touched on it as far as color and how color can sometimes oh, yeah. make a dif- difference. Now, when Bill was on our show years ago, he had three slammers to give away to callers, and when I was sitting next to him in the studio, he pointed at the black one, which is called the sucker pattern, he, and he, he told me, he said, this one's been my hot one. I said, well, uh, I'm a caller, and I'm taking that right now. And so one of our callers did not get that one, and I caught three muskies on it that week. Now, for several years, that black sucker has been my go-to pattern. But uh, then last year, it kind of it kind of hit the beach. It just crashed and burned. I couldn't get a rip on it. I think I caught a pike or two. But uh, since that time, uh, I've been using lots of different colors. And uh, the best best break I got was my brother Tim coming down two weeks ago. And he had sp- picked up some special custom colors. Um, and he brought me a custom color bait. And the next six hits, and I'm trolling four lines out there, six hits in a row, 
I'm, I'm running four slammers, but if six are all on that same one bait, that tells you something, yeah. uh, that that yep. color's hot. Now, one thing I noticed with that particular crankbait, though, is when it does run, it, it runs relatively straight, but every once in a while it kicks out to the right or kicks out to the left. And I have read that uh, that, that is good for, troll, for musky trollers. In fact, there was some expensive bait they were selling, I can't remember, years ago. You couldn't even get it that supposedly tracked like that, where it would you know, shoot off to the right, shoot off to the left. Uh, but this one sure has the mojo. And since that time, I've picked up two more in the same color. And I'm still catching most of them on that one bait. But I, I am picking up a few on the other color. And then I pulled out an, uh, another custom color that I've had for about five years and never caught a fish on it, but always thought it looked good. Well, I had it out and uh, nailed two fish on that this week. So some of those custom colors, man, it, the color really seems to make a difference. Uh, I don't know. What's your experience and thoughts as far as color? Because some people say, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, it's the action of the bait alone. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I was reading uh, a report done by uh, Lauren Hill and Jean Gilliland, now, this is mainly for bass, they did a report. But uh, now you can't take it that it's gospel, okay? you got to remember that that's these two guys with their findings. doesn't mean it's factual, but this is what they found, that bass are sensitive to reds and yellows. In clear water, uh, 25 to 45% light penetration. Blues, purples, yellows, and silver were most visible. In stained water, gold, brown, and orange were most visible. Blues to violet, that's the short wavelength uh, light, is absorbed last. In other words, penetrates deepest. Uh, fluorescent colors are also maintained their, their deep visibility. Now, Pure Fishing, that's a Berkeley outfit, uh, they did research. Now, they do some very extensive research, and they found that in clear water, Countershaded lures, that's uh, dark on the back, light on the belly, and that's called Thayer's Principle. We learned about that long time ago, about Thayer's Principle. Now, those were most likely to get struck than a solid color, you know, one solid color. So dark on the top, light on the belly, uh, that, those were most likely to get struck. Now, that, like I said, you, you can't take that as gospel, but maybe it's something to, you know, think about. Well, when you think about bait fish, Tom, pretty much they're dark on top and lighter on the belly. So you would every, think that that's natural. I think every fish is. Yeah, and the, the other is. the other theory though is this: uh, sometimes you think, okay, we got to match the hatch. So in other words, they're feeding on a lot of perch up in Green Bay. We're going to run a perch, you know, a super parapla super shad. Um, on the other hand. Sometimes you wonder something that stands out from the herd, some some offbeat, different right. color that doesn't look like any of the bait fish patterns at all, but maybe that's more standoutish where, you know, something they can hone in on. I, I don't know what the, you know, I don't know really where what the truth is there. Well, I'll tell you, Danny, how many times have you heard and heard this from other guys that the hot color, whether it be a Canadian lake, Wisconsin lake, Minnesota lake, would be orange with black dots or chartreuse with black dots some godforsaken color that you think there's nothing in nature like it 
but yet that's the hot one that they're hitting. So maybe what you're saying has some truth, that it stands out from the rest, you know, and uh, maybe easier for the fish to home in on. But, you know, then again, uh, maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, uh, when the orange bagleys came out, um, I was slamming them on that orange bagley. I don't think uh, it's DB4, DB3 mag. I don't think hardly anybody was even using that color. I called it the cherry bonbon, so anytime I put a muskie on the muskie board, I called it the cherry bonbon, but then the kids at the bait shop, uh, they kind of let the word get out. But there was one time where I was catching so many on that color bait, it was the only color I trolled, similar to the black uh, the black uh, slammers a couple of years ago. Once I get one that's working, you know, it, it's one thing to be trolling, and you got four different colors out, and you catch one on this, one on that, and you don't have a definite pattern. But it's another thing when all of a sudden you're getting three hits on a row on that one color, and you're trolling the other ones at the same depth, the same speed, then you start to think, hey, you know, we got a trend here. Uh, you know, I'm not adverse to going to all of one color if that's what's working. And that's what I did with those Bagley's years ago. But then again, that color just kind of quit producing for me and kind of hit the wall. And I moved on from that. So I guess for trolling, the one thing that you have to do is every year you get out there, you got to You got to Sure, you're going to go with your old reliables, but don't be stuck in a rut where you think just because I caught a fish, on this bait, this one time a year ago, that that's all you're going to ever do. Sure, you want to uh, duplicate that pattern, try it, see if it's working. Uh, I guess the advantage of being out here, you know, trolling for 25 years is you've got enough go-to baits that you can switch between. And if one pattern isn't working, you can mix it up and say, okay, let's try this. Uh, different colors, different baits, different running depths, different speeds. And that's that's what makes the, the trolling fun. And anybody who thinks that trolling is, isn't fair and that, you know, any dummy can go out and chuck a spoon or throw a bait out and just start the motor and go, it, no, it, there's a science to it. You have to learn what you're doing just like anything to be effective at it. Right, and to uh, just let people know that starting in a couple of weeks, we're going to be having the... Curly's uh, uh, football picking contest at this time, right after this break. So that's going to be coming up in just a couple of weeks, the Curly's football picking contest, where you can win a $10 gift certificate to Curly's Waterfront Pub on Pewaukee Lake. Anyway, with that, we're going to be right back, folks. Uh, he's Dan Bush. I'm Tom Neubauer. Sam Schmidt's on the boards. 799-1250 is the phone number. We are brought to you by... Bait made fish attractants. We'll be right back with more at the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. A back to back and Welcome back to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Hey, we are presented by a Bait Mate Fish Attractant, Coleman Insect Repellents. Make sure you get that bait, mate. Uh, get a little bit of the garlic game fish and spray it on your mini mite, my friends. It works for the gills. Uh, Tommy, the true, and Dan Bush have experienced that firsthand. Yeah, oh, and speaking of bluegills, uh, I got a report that uh, Pewaukee Lake has never put out more 7- to 9-inch bluegills than what it's doing right now. So, And, and we, know, we, we know there's a lot you know, more of the bigger fish in Pewaukee Lake. But 
I guess uh, people are doing pretty darn good on them. Now, here's the deal, Tom. Uh, we talked about Mendota fishing deep water for suspended. That's pretty much what I hear they're doing on Pewaukee right now. I'm out there yeah. trolling, trying to get some of those bluegill-eating muskies while other boats are out there trying to catch those bluegills. Right, right. And I'll bet you every now and then when they're reeling in a bluegill, a muskie comes up and tries to take it from them. <laughs> so I'm glad you mentioned that, Tom, because I had an experience yesterday. I was out with uh, uh, Dr. Sandy Flaster and his, uh, his granddaughter, Miranda, and, uh, or no, no, um, not, uh, not Miranda. No, I'm spacing out. But anyway, um, Melanie, I believe. I'm getting old. I'm messing up on names. But anyway, uh, we were out fishing, just night crawlers, small fish, um, you know, just catching a little bit of everything, a little bit of rock bass, a uh, little bit of bluegills, uh, some small perch. Anyway, Sandy hooked a bluegill, and he winds it up to the edge of the boat, and he says, says uh, come grab the rod. He yells to her. He says, come grab the rod. Um, I've got a huge fish on. It's a huge bass. And then the bass swam away, and he realized he only had a bluegill on. The big bass was coming after the bluegill. <laughs> and he said it was a really big one. So I, I want to ask you, Tom, have you ever known bass to, like, eat bluegills? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You got to remember that all fish are opportunistic. I mean, if bass sees a perch, a bluegill, a small crappie, they're going to grab it. Oh yeah, without a doubt. As a matter of fact, you'll find there's uh, a lot of lakes have uh, like a, a structure where you got bluegills, bass, and pike, and then in other lakes you'll have perch, walleye, muskie. But yeah, bluegills and bass. Oh yeah, they eat them. You have you ever? Now, Tom, I've had uh, fishing for, for, for bluegills. I've had experiences where we're winding in the bluegill, and next thing you know, you see this northern pike, you know, after it like a torpedo. Is the, is the bluegills going left and right? The pike's going left and right, right behind it. Have you ever seen a bass do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had bass chasing them. Oh, yes. That happens. Okay. I mean, it doesn't happen as much, you know, like with the muskie and the pike and the blue, uh, bass. It doesn't happen all that often where they're chasing them, but it does happen. As a matter of fact, on Oconomowoc Lake, for some reason, the muskies love going after them smallmouth. Uh, I mean, it's happened to me a number of times, or clients, or one time even doing a radio show with, I mean, a TV show with Dennis Radloff. He was really in a, a small smallie, you know, maybe about a 12 to 14 incher. And this muskie just came out of nowhere, and he wanted to eat that thing. So, yeah, it does happen. Oh, yeah. And I think I've seen it happen most often on Oconomowoc Lake for some reason. You know, you mentioned that. Uh, interesting. Uh, another story. Years ago, I was fishing with uh, my friends Tommy Wilson and Troy Woodrow, and I believe it was up on Presque Isle. Is, I think that's the lake, and it's real super clear. Are you familiar yep. with it, Tom? Yes, I've been up there several times oh, yeah very okay clear. so it was early in the season when musky fishing isn't that great but anyway we uh we were going along there and all of a sudden we see some disturbance along the shoreline by by kind of a rock point and we see a swirl and this oh about a three pound bass leaps out of the water and onto the rocks and there this there this bass is flopping and then we see it swirl again and it's a it's a musky 
the muskie literally chased that bass where it jumped literally out of the lake and onto the shoreline. And then the smallmouth kind of, it about a 40, looked like about a 40-inch muskie. Then the bass flopped around. I don't know if it was a smallie or largemouth. It was a bass. Anyway, it kind of flopped around a little bit and then kind of went in the drink off the other side of the point from where it went in, leaping away from the muskie. But I couldn't believe it. It literally was jumping out of the water to get rid of, uh, to try and avoid the muskie. And it saved its life, I guess. I'll say well, I, I know I, I I know I told this story before, but one time on Oconomowoc Lake, I was out with a couple of fellas, and uh, we were catching smallies, and the guy got a real nice one on. I, we found out later it was 19 inches, about four pounds. Anyway, while he's reeling it in, right behind it was this muskie that was around that 40 inch range. You know, 40. It could have been 38, could have been 42, but right around that 40 inch range, chasing it. And as the smallie would come out of the water, the muskie would be right behind it. And one of the times, and it was the coolest thing to see, the muskie actually grabbed it in midair. It grabbed that baby, and it went down with it. And so anyway, then it must have somehow got, you know, the, the smallie got loose, and the guy got it close to the boat, and the muskie was still after it. And I told the one fella, I said, Try netting the muskie. Don't worry about the smallie. Try netting the muskie. Well, when he put the net in the water, the muskie went away. Okay, so the guy brings the smallie in the boat, and like I said, it was a 19-incher, about four pounds. It had a couple of big gashes on it, and the guy wanted to release it, and he leans over the boat to release it. Now, mind you, we're only in about five feet of water. It's very clear, sandy bottom, and it was a sunny day, and he leans over to release it, and he said, I can't release it here. I said, why not? The muskie was in the shadow of our boat, under the boat. It was like go drifting along with us, like maybe waiting for that fish to come back out. I don't know, but it was it was right under the boat. So his buddy took the net, shoved it in the water to scare the muskie away, which it did, scared the fish away. Then the guy was able to release the smallie in the lake. But that was a weird thing that happened, you know, that the muskie was, it was almost like it was waiting for us to throw it back, you know. You know, I, I, I've, I've had several strange musky experiences on Pewaukee. Uh, one time I was sucker fishing, and uh, the sucker, uh, you know, got nervous, so I pulled it near the boat, and sure enough, there's a, uh, there's a musky right behind it. And it's, 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 it's just going, it's noses by its tail, and it's just, I, I'm figure-eighting the sucker, Tom, and the muskie is following it, the sucker. So finally, I got, I put the net in the water with my left arm. I figurated the sucker into the boat, I'm boat into the net, and then the muskie followed. And I tried lifting up with my left arm, and you know I had that muskie half in the net and half out, and then it flopped out, and so I let the sucker down again. I felt kind of a tug. So I lifted up. There was that same muskie. It was a real light colored, about a 36, 37 incher. And it was chomped down. It had T-boned the sucker. And then laying right next to it, side by side, is a darker muskie right next to it like it wanted a piece of that sucker. Um, so I, I, I set the hook. And this time I got a small hook in the fish, pulled it in, unhooked it. And I thought, how, how dumb can you be? You were half in the net. And then you still hung hung around down there and wanted to grab that sucker. It's just crazy sometimes. Maybe he was hungry, Dan. Maybe he was hungry. 
Must and, have been. Uh, but yeah, sometimes they'll do dumb things. I on a uh, on uh, Fowler Lake, I had that one fish, and it turned out to be a nice one, a forty-six incher. It hit the sucker. I had it on for about thirty seconds. Came off. Uh, I started reeling in, and the darn thing turned around, came right back at it, grabbed it again, and then I finally caught it. But yeah, sometimes they just, you know, they want it, and and by golly, nothing's going to stop them from getting it. But there's well, something else that they can't stop us from, Danny. Can't going to break? From, yeah, can't stop us from taking breaks. <laughs> we got to do another one here at the bottom of the hour. It's almost 7.30, about 7.29. But uh, we'll be right back, folks, with more of the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. So don't go away. We got more coming up. back, my friends, to Skipper Bud's Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush, along with Tommy the True Newbauer. We are presented by Baitmate Fish Attractant, Coleman Insect Repellents. And uh, on the line right now, I think we've got a caller. Is uh, Troy on the line? Yes, he is. Okay, morning, Troy. What's happening? Hey, hey guys. Good morning, Troy. Hey, guys. What's going on? I just wanted to mention uh, my, my father called me. He lives in Central Florida now. Three bass fishes and... He's been getting bit off lately by gators. <laughs> With uh, you know, he'll have a nice, he'll have a nice uh, largemouth on, and next thing you know, a big gator comes and takes it. So you know, it's interesting when you talk about opportunistic stuff. You know, these, I guess these gators down in Florida, they kind of wait for big bass to get hooked up, and he's in like this little. He's got. <laughs> he's kind of funny. He's in this kind of. He bought this like one-man raft boat. I'm like, Dad, are you, like, you know, he's, he's older now. I said, are you worried about, you know, that? He's like, no, I have a 357 with me, and when the gator bites it off, I let him take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd let the gator take it, too. Yep. So, anyway, it's just kind of interesting. And then also in Alaska, there's a lot of opportunistic stuff that happens up there when you're fishing, you know, with uh, with different things. And I just saw a video that I it was on uh social media of a of a small grizzly that grabs somebody's salmon uh on a river so it's, it's funny when you talk opportunistic stuff so anyway i just thought i'd chime in on that yeah i guess uh here we got the muskies and pike to grab the bass there he's got the gators i think i i think i'd feel a lot better with up here than down there man you know what what, what if he falls out of that little raft oh i guess he's gone Okay. Uh, yeah, I was know, just thinking, Tom, would you would you feel comfortable fishing in a little one-man raft with a bunch of gators swimming around you? Oh, heck no. No, yeah. <laughs> no way. But I'll tell you a story. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. God darn it. it it's, oh, he's a famous fisherman, and I can't think of his name. Well, anyway, he was uh, fishing down south where they had gators, and they were using topwater lures, and this smaller alligator of maybe... You know, it's like two or three feet, which I wouldn't want any. I want. I wouldn't want it anywhere near me anyway. But anyway, a guy he comes up and it grabs the lure, and the guy catches it and he gets it to the boat and he says, "What do I do?" And I don't want to lose my lure. And this guy told him, he says, "What you do is he says, grab it behind the head, and its tail was going back and forth, back and forth, kind of like a fish, right?" And he says, "Get that tail stuck between your legs so it doesn't flop around." 
So the guy did this. So he's holding the gator by the back of the head. He's got the tail between his legs. And he says, now what do I do? And the guy tells him, I don't know. I've never gone that far. Oh, <laughs> oh God. You know, oh, uh, Spence Petros, that's the guy. Spence Petros told that story. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. And, and you know, I was talking earlier about the old Baker hookout tool. Uh, yeah. It's going to take a heck of a lot more than the Baker hookout tool at that yeah. point. Well, you remember when you and I, we used to watch uh, those uh, Louisiana Southern guys catching those alligators, and then they would shoot them in the back of the head with a twenty-two. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. That was, and, and those were some 10, 11, 12-footers, and it's like I wouldn't want to be anywhere near those things. You know, you want to know what those boys are doing now. Those boy, good old boys are going down to Florida, and they're catching, all, catching snakes now. Yeah, yeah, the big, uh, what, was it pythons? Oh, there's uh, what? There's Anaconda? different pythons. There's different breeds. There's, yeah. and then they've got them, uh, you know, breeding together, creating hybrid super snakes. Yeah. And they and they're and those guys. I mean, they're grabbing them by the tail, and then eventually, you know, they kind of get them where they make a fast move and grab them behind the head. Um, but you know, they they don't have a venomous bite. But if one no. latches onto you, it's that's still not good. But I guess those those bigger ones, those pythons and anacondas, they can wrap around you and, and they well, right. so hard they'll 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 suffocate you, you know? That that's why you gotta have Bubba and Joe with you so all of y'all can grab that thing and grab the coils and keep it from you know Yeah, I, <laughs> I gotta I gotta wrap it around and strangling you. Yeah, I gotta think that these people going after those snakes I don't think they play with a full deck. I really don't. I mean because <laughs> <laughs> you ain't going to catch me within 100 miles of doing that. Uh, no way. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. goodness me. It, it, I guess maybe it'd be kind of fun. Uh, I guess if the other guy grabbed it behind the head, maybe I'd be willing to grab the the, the back or the tail and, and, and grapple with it a little bit. But I don't want to be the guy. I don't want to be the point man. <laughs> I mean, would you want to be even walking in that? shallow water with the reeds sticking up and the weeds and you don't water know moccasins yeah you don't know what's there you know i mean oh no way uh-huh no thank you as I my have, as my inner nightmares. city kids used to say hail no <laughs> yeah hell no <laughs> no it's it's hail no h-a-i-l well, that's on that's those south side inner city guys my inner city guys say hells no they put an s on it <laughs> I uh, oh, you know, God. the other thing with those snake, with those snake, uh, those snake guys down south, I, I don't know why are they capturing them alive anyway? Why aren't I, they just taking and shooting them in the head with a twenty-two? They, they yeah. the goal is to get them out of there. Um, what yeah, are they doing? They... They're taking taking them off to um, you know, some reptile place, and they're gonna know. put them in a zoo or whatever. There's too many of the goddamn snakes anyway. I say just kill them. I say, I say, like, what's his name? Chewed. Chewed them yeah. all. You know, it's like yeah, like you said, you know, they, they got these people capturing these snakes because there's way too many. There's a hazard. There's a problem with them. I mean, people who live, you know, near the water and that, they'll find them in their backyard trying to take a little, uh, your little dog, whatever his name is, little Skippy, you know? Skippy, I mean, yeah. Uh, a good yeah. name, Tom. Skippy. <laughs> trying to take so, little Skippy. You know... I think what I would do is if I were down there, I'd take Skippy 
and I'd uh, put them to the post like a goat on a stake for the leopard, and then I'd uh, climb on the roof and wait with my uh, with my spotlight and my 22 and get ready for uh, get ready for some action, man. Yeah, there you go. Skippy would have to count on my marksmanship, however. Um, <laughs> yes, he would. <laughs> of course, you know what? You know, actually, better than a 22 to the head. Um, how about a shotgun? That'll I'm thinking a shotgun blast. Yeah, you wouldn't have to be off. too precise to blow their head off. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's you know that's a good question. Where are they taking all those snakes? I mean, like my goodness. Oh well, now it's something for us to do over during the week to find out what they do with them. Yeah, that's that's uh, Tom. That's your homework project. Yeah. I want you to work on that. Yeah. You know, when we were talking about lakes, like we talked about Big Cedar, and I said, you know, I haven't been on that lake in quite a few years. Another lake I haven't been on in quite a few years is Lake Eula, and that was my favorite nighttime bass fishing lake, that and Big Cedar. But Lake Eula, you know, it's, it's so, well, you know what's cool about nighttime bass fishing, Danny, is you go out there and you rarely ever run into anybody else. You rarely see anybody else out there. I mean, it's so pleasant so nice you know uh i would i would recommend it you know but the only reason i had a, i stopped fishing beulah is it because they put the boat launch they used to have a boat launch uh parking right by the boat launch for maybe i don't know half dozen cars and trailers but people were being a little too loud so they because there's people that live right around there so instead of buying the land that was offered to them that was right next to the boat launch the DNR bought the land that's up on a hill. You know, I don't know how many blocks away it is, but it's up on a hill. So, I mean, if you're fishing alone, you can't take your boat and launch it and then leave it to go park your vehicle, you know, and then hike back down to it and, or hike back up to go get the vehicle and leave your boat there all unattended. They just, I think they really screwed the pooch there. The, Beulah is another lake that needs a better launch or better parking by the boat launch they need a spot like that maybe the dnr should buy some land out there too and uh build a decent launch and parking area well long as it's not landlocked like that uh you were talking about before yeah yeah as long as it's not landlocked that hey talking talking about nighttime fishing for bass have you ever used the frogs you know at night uh no it didn't make enough noise okay yeah at night you definitely want to make the noise you want to like a like a buzz bait or a jitter bug, anything on top of the water that makes noises. But I'm telling you, that black spinner bait with the oversized Colorado blade, man, I'm telling you, uh, man, I can't tell you how many fish we caught at night with that. Uh, that's the one and only bait I would use at night. Then, what I mean, it was proven to me, time and time again, that it would outfish anything else. Now, unless somebody knows of some secret lure out there that does a better job, I'd like to know. Yeah, that's interesting. I know if we have Ron Johnson in here next week, um, we'll uh, we'll ask him on that too. And yeah. I was I was reading about frogs though, Tom, and we've talked about how, you know, you talked the tip about bending the hooks out on those on those frogs and so forth. I was reading one article, and they were talking about the live target hollow body frogs, which are apparently this one guy says are really good. Do you have any any of your favorites as far as frogs to use for bass? I think the I think one of them is called Spro, S-P-R-O. Um, 
those I've been using, and those are good. I like using frogs, you know, uh, in shallow water, weedy area, sloppy area. But, you know, you know, the frogs are fun to use, but there are times when when you got those uh, lily pad areas and the sloppy areas, uh, throwing a tube or a lizard in there will be just as effective, you know, just as effective. And sometimes I... just a plain old plastic worm rig Texas style. Hey, how about one we were talking about? couple of weeks ago how about a plain old johnson silver minnow in the, yeah. in the in, under the lily pads well the only problem with that is that you've got to you got to work it faster you know you got to retrieve it in order for it to wiggle back and forth with you're using like a plastic worm or a tube or a lizard you really don't have to work it that much you don't have to keep it moving you can let it settle down and and the fish will come and grab it so a little bit of a difference but yes those will work too They'll work too. But you know what Tip else it. works, Danny? What's that? Something else works. A break. We got one break. break to go. This is the last one. Promise, folks. Last break of the day. And Danny and I will be right back. So don't go anywhere. Maybe get that last cup of coffee, but we'll be right back. We'll be here waiting for you. Welcome back to Skipper Bud's Cutting Edge Outdoors. Hey, thanks for riding the train with us today. We are on our last segment, and along with us is our Boulder Junction Connection, Dennis. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Dan. How are you doing this morning? Doing good. All right. Hey, Dennis, I was hoping you were going to call because otherwise I was going to have to call you. Hey, I wanted to know a question before you get into your report. What's the temperature like in the mornings when you get up, you know, like 6 in the morning? Uh, it's warm today. Well, it's been warm. We've had a warm summer, Tom, uh, and uh, and that's affected the fishing as well. But uh, right, like this morning is humid. It's it's muggy. It's been raining on and off all night. And we're supposed to get rain today. Okay. But generally, our temperatures are between. I'm going to say between 62 and sometimes as much as 70 in the morning, and it's all been right. pretty consistent all summer long. Okay. So how is the fishing going up there? Water temperature, believe it or not, the water temperature is anywhere from 72 to 75 degrees yet, which is quite warm. And I have not had a good summer for the quantity of walleyes. Uh, I do a lot of walleye fishing, and and, uh, we caught some nice fish this summer, but not uh, the groups of fish like we would catch in the past. And I think... I'm gonna, you know, it's like anything. You blame the weather. It's the water's too warm yet. Now we're waiting for uh, colder water, and hopefully the the fish will turn on. And it's been tough finding walleyes right now. And bass fishing has been fantastic, smallmouth and largemouth. And musky fishing's been real well. Uh, everybody's doing real well on musky fishing right now. And some nice fish have been caught. A good friend of mine caught a 52 inch the other day, and and took some nice pictures with it and put her back in the water. But uh, we're catching some nice muskies right now, but again, water temperatures uh, got to cool down, and I'm kind of waiting for that. And it's been a goofy summer with everything else going on, like you guys know. Uh, it's it's been different, so we got to get used to what we've got going right now, I guess. Do you have a lot of uh, vacationers up there this year? Yes, I don't. I, I I thought that we would be quiet in town here and, and, and around the areas, and we're close to Manitowish and Presque Isle and Winchester, 
and there are a lot of people up here, and it's not just on weekends. It's uh, during the week. You know, when you think that it would be quiet during the week, uh, our streets are full, and, and there's pe- there's a lot of people around. Now, everybody's doing a lot of social distancing. That's a big thing. We have a huge bike trail system, uh, you know, 50-plus miles of bike trails, so that's being used tremendously. I mean, that's every day I see people on these bike trails either hiking, biking, or, or walking. Uh, and obviously that's what a lot of people are doing right now, and the families are doing it. And uh, it's, it's been busier, and I can't believe I thought it would be slowed down a little bit, but it's, it was a busy summer so far. Well, Dennis, we appreciate you calling, giving us that up north report. Um, I, hope every, I hope your walleye fishing goes better for you in the future. <laughs> I'll keep in touch with you guys. I'm sorry I haven't called more often. I get tied up in the morning with other projects, but... Uh, uh, I'm hoping that the walleye season takes off, off here real quick, and and uh, I will keep you informed of what's going on. Dennis. Yeah, you, can't let, you can't let your breakfast get cold. You know? No, I know it. I'm at the greenery right now. I'm having a cup of coffee. Oh. Hey, right, Dennis. Dennis. Yeah, quick question, Dennis, before oh, you go. Are you still there? Oh, you know, I'm still here. Uh, are you guys going to be having the musky days up there this year, or is that canceled because of COVID? That was canceled, Dan. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we have no activities except we have a fall activity coming up where people are just walking around and shopping, and and uh, it's a it's an activity that they can distance themselves. But the musky classic that we normally have this year has been canceled. Uh, natural is about 700 people or plus 700 plus, and uh, that's been canceled as well. It's it's. It's been tough, and we gotta, you know, we gotta get over this right now and, and get back to a, what do we, I guess, a new norm. So it's not going to be easy. Gotcha. Well, better days are ahead. Yes, they are. You guys yeah. in the studio yet, or is that coming up soon? No, not yet. They, they, they told us January. Oh, okay. Yeah. All so right. we got to well, tough it out for a little longer. Okay. Good luck with that. Hang All right. Tight. Stay healthy, Thanks. guys. All right, thanks, Dennis. Bye now. That was Dennis Royce, our Boulder Junction connection. Danny, I got a question. Yep. Where the hell is that North Lake launch? Oh, gosh. You know, I think the DNR is uh, fooling us again. You know, they bought property on the southwest end of North Lake, said they were going to put a boat launch there. That was like over five years ago. Now I hear, which I don't know if this is true or not, but they, they said, oh, they're going to sell that land and buy the land by the old post office and make a boat launch there. You know what? I've been told this story before, and I'm not buying it. I don't know what's going on there, but what are we gonna do? Wait another five years? Okay, that's I'm done now. You got you get you feel better now? <laughs> yeah, you know, now. here's what's gonna happen. They're gonna put a boat launch on there, and you'll never even go there. I if they do, I will go there. I swear to you, I will. Okay, I, you better. And, and, and every day, I want you to be out there. Well, maybe not every day, but every I day. will go out there. Yeah. I will. I will. Well, anyway, uh, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, Tom, is uh, we got uh, bow hunting coming up pretty soon. You know, the yeah, uh, bow yeah. hunting and, and along with that, the crossbow, uh, crossbow is, is, you know, now legal to use. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I bought a crossbow that shot 370 feet per second which is considered really fast. I mean, I'll tell you, Tom, you go to shoot that at 
at 20, 30 yards. And I mean, that, that you can't even see the arrow. It's just there. Boom. You know, yeah. but they, they have crossbows now that are close to 500 feet per second. I'm looking at one now that they're reviewing. It's the 10 point <coughs> vapor RS 470. And it shoots 470 feet per second with a 370 grain arrow. I mean, how fast do you need? I, wow. I remember back in the day, shoot, my old, uh, my first compound was maybe 200 feet per second, and 300 feet per second was considered smoking with the compound bow. It, it's really yeah. gotten nuts. Well, I wonder if those can uh, also be accurate at a further distance. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. As long as people aren't getting crazy and trying shots that are too far. But get get this price on this 10-point, the 470 feet per second. Guess what the price is? Uh, $800. $3,000. What? $3,000? Yeah. Oh. Where are those guys right. crazy? Oh, I guess we got to go, Tom. We're out of time. So okay. that's all I got. Go out and buy a new crossbow for $3,000. <laughs> okay, buddy. To all the listeners, thanks for listening, and God bless and stay free, everyone. You've been listening to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. We'll talk to you all next week, my friends. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.